Hello and welcome. I'm Olga Hanmanen, and this is Academia Experience. I'm a researcher at the University of Eastern Finland, and I always wanted to popularize science. Knowledge needs to be shared, not buried inside academia. So in Academia Experience, we discuss topical academic phenomena in everyday language to make them more approachable and understandable for everyone. Welcome aboard. My guest today is Dr. Kaya Barry, a cultural geographer and artist working in the areas of migration, mobilities, tourism, material cultures and arts research. She is a senior lecturer and Australia Research Council Discovery Early Career Researcher Award Fellow at Griffith University. Welcome to my podcast, Kaya. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. So among others, you research the embodied practices and experiences of temporary migration and mobilities. And one of your recent research is on so-called backpackers, or those who travel on working visa to Australia to work in Australian farms. This activity has been largely disrupted by the pandemic and the closure of Australian borders. So could you tell us a little bit more about this uh, working holiday visa practice in Australia? Yeah, um, so backpackers, which is kind of nickname, um, them, they're in the working holiday maker visa. Australia, like many countries, has got this uh, reciprocal arrangement with many countries around the world um, to have young people come to Australia for um, anywhere between one to three years um, on the working holiday maker visa. Um, it's been around since the mid-70s, um, but in the last uh, five to ten years, there's been considerable expansion of the visa. A lot more nations have been added. Uh, so currently, there's 47 nations with the working holiday maker visa. So it's a big reward. Um, and they are in, encouraged, uh, but also incentivized through the visa working restrictions um, to go and undertake um, farm work or regional work um, in specified locations. So backpackers in Australia have this hybrid status being tourists, um, being the more long-term nomadic travellers, but also being a really key migrant workforce. I see. Do you know approximate numbers or how big is this phenomenon? Um, I'm not sure. The, the, the numbers are always lagging behind how the government reports them to how many people are there. I, I believe there's around 100 and it hit 100,000 um, early this year. So. Before the pandemic, you get anywhere between, you know, around 100,000 to maybe 140,000. Um, but they're the people who have a current working holiday maker visa. Because you have to reapply each year to get only granted a visa for one year at a time, often people in between their visa applications will be put on a bridging visa. So there's actually a lot more um, people who would fall under the category of backpackers because they might be on bridging visas or transiting between visas. So it's sort of a really tricky estimate, but I, you know, there, there's the backpackers, I think would be around 30 or 40,000 usually. That sounds like a big and significant number for Australian farms. So how did farms survive during the pandemic when this number didn't arrive <laughs> to work? Many didn't. Um, many didn't. Um, so just for context, Australia closed its international border in March of 2020. Um, it was a hard border closure. Um, there was a permit-based system to get an exemption to either travel in or travel out. Um, 
but that system was restricted to only people who were a permanent resident or Australian citizen. So anyone with a temporary visa was not, not able to even apply for them. Um, when the border closed, there are around 130,000 backpackers in the country. You know, at the end of 2020, um, so what, nine months into the pandemic, where things were pretty scary in most places in the world, still about 80,000 people were left. So even though the government told people on temporary visas, and particularly tourists and backpackers, to go and leave while they still could, um, many chose to stay. So that kind of helped the farms for the first year. The second year was really hard. So Australian borders remained closed. The international border was closed for just under two years. Um, so no didn't get them coming in. Um, and then also on top of that, there were state border closures. So Australia's made up states and territories. Yeah. yeah, so there were internal border closures too. So it's not like if you're in Melbourne, you could just fly to Brisbane. Um, that was very restrictive as well, which of course has huge impact for farmers who rely on seasonal workforces to move between areas where fruit picking or you know produce is required. So the first year of the pandemic was pretty tough and, and a bit scary because everyone was juggling you know health restrictions and lockdowns and things. But the second year, even though we were a little bit more familiar with restrictions and lockdowns, um, people had to start leaving. Um, because their visa was expiring or they had to go home or, and then new people weren't coming in. So many farms just had really devastating um, consequences. Many farmers chose not to plant next season's crops. Um, there were many stories of the local community, local school groups, all local businesses just stopping work and going and helping farmers pick produce, berries, fruit, whatever it was on mass. But there was just day after day of these reporting of fruit rotting on trees and oranges dropping to the ground. Uh, it was really, really hard. I see. Another question as now borders are open, so did these backpackers or those uh, people who applied for working holidays, uh, did they return in the same numbers or how is the situation now? Well, it's back to, I don't know what the current stats are, but we hit 100,000 um, visas granted, but that's, um, it took a year to get back to that, whereas normally the visa places fill up really quickly. It's an ongoing, you know, group of, of people coming in. Um, so the water's open, but the problem was because having two years of no flights in it, virtually no flights in it, the flight, the flight passes were very high last year, so in 2021 when the borders opened, and then they've gradually decreased and there's gradually more flights in and out of Australia, but it's still not the same as what it was pre-pandemic. Mm -hmm. So the cost is really prohibitive and it took a long time for those prices to come down. So the young person who you know, wants to take off for a little bit to Australia just couldn't afford it. Um, and there are also really lengthy visa delays. Um, so people were waiting months, you know, six, ten months was quite common just to get a visa issue, just to get a backpack. So I, I believe that backlog of visa processing has kind of slowed for backpackers, but there were a lot of obstacles. And then also because of Australia's really, you know, uh, stringent border policy and very restrictive, people were quite scared to come because 
you know, I know at least we need to know we didn't know what we have. We didn't know whether the borders would stay open, whether a new variant would come along. So I think there was a, a lot of hesitation for people, but things are good now. And, uh, yeah, um, you know, it's looking pretty good. So did any policy changes happen to attract this workers or to a yeah, um, not so much policy, but things that have been moving along behind the scenes even before the pandemic. So before the pandemic, backpackers and, and most other migrant workers, anyone involved in farm work was paid pretty terribly mm. across the board because um, there was no minimum wage for agricultural work. So everything was done most stuff was done by piece rate, so by the bucket of how many berries you pick or by the weight of how many tomatoes, or, you know, so it was incentivized work and there were a lot of pretty bad farmers and operators out there who were ripping people off and because they're disposable migrant labour, they got away with it. Um, the one kind of positive thing about the pandemic is a lot of people who've been doing really dodgy stuff had to shut up shop. And so it, it did clear. Um, it did clear out a lot of people who will probably come back, but it's tidying things up. And then it was also a government inquiry a few years back into the wages and exploitation of farm workers and working holiday makers, and they brought in a minimum wage. So now everybody gets paid the minimum casual wage, and it's. It's good. Um, so people are getting paid good money for the work they're doing, and that has made just a significant improvement. I find it interesting. In one of your reports, you mentioned that uh, these uh, backpackers are not all low-skilled workers, but those who engage in physical labor in their home countries. So could you tell a little bit more about who are those backpackers who are coming to work in Australia? Yeah, and they're they're not um, they're not they're certainly not the stereotypical backpacker tourists. We perhaps have to think about in tourism and release studies. They're often quite a lot of the countries on the visa have an educational requirement, so they're required to already have a tertiary education. So you get people who are specialists, um, there's nurses, doctors, police, uh, teachers, lots of teachers, um, people who've been in professional jobs for quite a while and want to change. And, Perhaps we'll take a gap year after school or things like that. So there are very different stages in life. I mean, the majority of them are young travellers, and, and that's that's good. But there, some of the visas, some of the nations on the visa around people up to thirty five years. So they're in a very different life stage than perhaps somebody in their early twenties, um, which brings a really different skill set, and it also then it begs the question, you know, in a country like Australia, many countries at the moment, because of the pandemic, have huge labour shortages um, in specialist areas like healthcare, education, um, you know, tourism as well. Yeah, like why aren't we utilising these skills? Um, so it's a little bit, it, it, it's disappointing that, um, you know, it, even though people come out half of the time when you're on farm. They could be teaching at the local school that desperately needs more staff, or in the local hospital or in the local clinic, um, and it's it's quite it's quite stark in contrast. But then also, because there's so many nations on it, they're not all the stereotypical white European, British, or you know, drunk and backpacker at the park. They're they're from many walks of life, 
um, and many have very different motivations for how and why they decide to go somewhere far away like Australia. Um, so it's sort of, I think, it, it challenges the tourism stereotypes around the nomadic drifting ideals that people and actually pushes it into migrant, you know, discussions about migrant labour because many nations on the visa are from um, developing nations and some people are on the visa using it as a remittance. Uh, you know, because they would have thought they'd have money living in rural Australia or living in farm and they could ever win. Um, that's not what I was talking about. It induces it. People choose to stay and do the three years maximum to and that's how the visa is engineered to attract people to stay. So, you know, Australia gets a lot of regional communities and rural communities get a lot out of it, but it's more and more edging towards just a labour visa rather than having to Yeah, speaking of that, the, you mentioned the motivations that some want to come to Australia for emergencies to earn money, others want to travel. So do you think that there are more those who want to come and explore the country or others or more those who want to just put money, better, better money than back home? I think the majority are the, the young travel, you know, they want a big time and the experience. But then you do find that people want, because Australia's a very nice country, and it's, you know, got a fairly good standard of living compared to most places in the world. So you spend a few months there and, and you might want to stay, um, which is really common. So then the backpacker rules are because it's three years and, you know, and there's a work of money in it, it becomes quite attractive to people who perhaps have, you know, found a, a relationship in Australia, have friends and family in Australia, who, um, a lot of international students that come and do their studies in Australia and then will come back later. So the only visa available for them to come back and live in Australia, even though it's temporary, you know, soon it's up to three years to stay in Australia. And so I think it's it's reflective. You know, I don't have the stats on these videos. There are people on the backpack of the that are reflective of that desire to stay mm -hmm. who are locked out of any long-term visa options or residency options. So do these uh, backpackers, those who apply for a working holiday visa, do they come as individuals or uh, can we see that there are mediated agencies or companies that bring specific people, a group of people from a particular country? Uh, the reason I ask is that in Finland, for example, we have um, these fly-in workers from Thailand who come and pick up wild berries, blueberries and lingonberries. So is it also a similar practice in Australia? Um, to some extent, I mean, there's, you know, there's everyone's out to make a buck off someone. Um, so there are migration agents and you know, tourism companies who will help assist you to apply for a visa. Um, there's many rumours around about people who would fly into Australia with a debt in their head. So they've gone through a migration agent, borrow the money, you know, for their plane ticket, their initial accommodation, the service of providing them with work and things like that there. And there's a lot of crap that goes on when it's all quite under the radar because it's obviously legal. Um, and then they work off the debt. And so they're people who get bound into this through, you know, more towards discussions around 
slavery, which that's a very, very concern. For the majority of workers, you have to be a single person, you can't have a partner or any dependents, you can't have any children in the background. So it's tailored towards a single person who needs a suit. So it's very restrictive. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there are people, you know, this the marking point is it's a cultural exchange, it's, it's tourism. But you know, if you're gonna go on your three years somewhere, what happens? You know, if you're into mid twenties to mid thirties and then you have a family. So it's it's very restrictive in that way. The other thing to notice is there's also a similar visa that's geared towards agricultural working markets as the Pacific Australia Labor Mobility Visa, and that is for nine Islands nations that take less state, and they come on much more rigid restrictions around their tie to their work. So there's a lot of farm workers who are in the Pacific who live and work alongside farm workers, um, but they can have, you know, and they, many of them are married, many of them have children back home. It does serve a remittance scheme. So between, you know, staring with farm workers, you've got back workers from 27 different countries, you've got Pacific Islanders from 10 different nations, it's, a, it's quite a diverse mix, and then they all have different motivations different climate so it, it makes it really hard when we talk about problems to universalize the Check out Academia Experience elsewhere.